This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Brinefield Services Company, Zolandez. Check them out at zolandez.com. That's Z-E-L-A-N-D-E-Z dot com. It's Joe Lowry. Welcome to another episode of the Global Lithium Podcast. Today is episode 165. My guest is Denis Jeffois, the Chief Commercialization Officer at Nano One. Denis has long experience in the cathode world, particularly in LFP in North America which may come as a surprise to many of you listening to this podcast. As the popular press likes to say, LFP can't be made in North America. We're going to talk about why that is not, in fact, the case. We're going to reprise what happened in Quebec, how LFP was born in Texas, had a childhood in Quebec, matured in China, and now will be coming back to North America hopefully with better economics due to Nano One's one-pot process. Denis' experience in LFP was with several different owners of the Candiac plant in Quebec, but even before that, he was involved in the early days of LFP in Quebec. He's only recently gone to work for Nano One, and you're going to hear all the details on this episode. Without further ado, Denis Jeffois. Denis Jeffois, welcome to the Global Lithium Podcast. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for having me today. We start off with a backstory. Give us a brief of how you got to where you are today. Take us from birth to Candiac. <laughs> to Vancouver or wherever in two minutes or less. I think from the accent, you can guess I'm from Quebec. So I'm a French-speaking person. Studied in chemical engineering in Laval University, the university in Quebec City. And when I started my master's degree is when I first went into the battery ward. You know, I was doing simulation. I had the choice between simulating uh, plastic molding and doing thermal and electrical simulation of a new type of battery. So I went for the batteries. I thought it had more impact on the environment. And that's where it's all started. I, After that, I joined the company that was making those batteries. So Hydro-Quebec had a big project back then making solid-state batteries, lithium, metal, and electrolyte, solid electrolyte. So I worked there for five years, testing batteries, product management. That's where I first Touched LFP back in 99, 2000, so uh, testing lab cells with LFP in it. And then I went out of the world of batteries for a year to telecoms. It was the early 2000s, so not a good time to go in the te telecom industry. So, and then I came back to, and I met Michel Gauthier, who was the founder of the first project and the founder of Fastec Lithium in 2002. And that's when I joined the LFP story of Fastec Lithium as a technical director. 
been there for 17 years. So I piloted things from the kilogram to the turn level. You know, back in 2002, you would Google LIFEPO4 and you wouldn't get anything. You know, it was still not as known as it is today. So I had to try the, the, the fun to build the industry also, build the awareness, build two plants in Quebec to make LFP, two different processes. I managed the Candiac plant for many years and I left in 2019. You know, I felt I had done everything I had to do there. Went to other activities, battery recycling, went even to the wood ward. And then I came back to the battery ward because I realized that's where I was more needed as a consultant. And that's where I met uh, Dan Blondel, Alex Holmes from uh, Nano One. And they convinced me that the process they had was the way to get LFP back to North America. So I joined them as a consultant. And the funny story is really that less than 10 days after I joined them on November 1st of 2021, Johnson Media announced that they were exiting the battery material world. So they were putting the Candiac site for sale. So one of my first mandates was to help Nano One purchase that site and give me a chance to work again with the team that I built back in the days, but by acquiring it this time. And I've been officially with Nano One since November 1st of last year. So when we bought the plant officially, I joined as a chief commercialization officer, so as a full-time employee. So Probably a little bit more than two minutes. Hopefully no, that's okay. fine. That's yeah. fine. One of the, I think the biggest misconceptions, well, there are many about LFP, I believe, but most people that listen to this podcast won't know that LFP was made in a very high quality product was made in North America for a decade. I, mm-hmm. I think I think a decade's about right. And what, when did you start? Candiac 2011, 2012? 2011, but we had a smaller plant in you know, St. Bruno, which is also on the south shore of Montreal, that we built in 2005. This one was a 600-ton plant, the 600-ton a year, which at the time was big. It was Today, it's nothing, but we were making material, you know, the Fastec Lithium Company back in 2005. I like to say that LFP was born in Texas, thanks to Dr. Goodenough in his lab, and may he rest in peace. And uh, it was, I'd say it grew in Quebec, because it's in Quebec that Auto Quebec and the rest of Montreal developed the carbon coating on LFP. And that's where the first startup licensee that had access to the Goodenough patent to make LFP started to exist back in 2002. So making LFP, and we developed people around it. So that's, uh, but at some point after it had grown here, it went to China. And that's where it, it spent its teenage years. That's the way I would say it. And now that it's mature, we need to bring it back to North America and Europe. But uh, we need to bring it back and have more than uh, less than a person production outside of China. Well, I think the born in Texas spent its early youth in Quebec, in teen- <laughs> teenage years in China, and maybe a little bit in Taiwan, too is part of the story. But the other part of the story is that for a long time, and in, in the past 10 years, there was a narrative that LFP has very limited use. You can only use it in buses or energy storage for renewables. And certainly if you want a, a real EV, you wouldn't want LFP. And that has proven not to be the case. Mm-hmm. Can you frame where LFP, in your opinion, fits into the cathode world now and where it's future lies. Yeah, I think 
you know, the main advantage of LFP, and it's funny because I look back at my 2003 uh, PowerPoints and it's the same message today as it was 20 years ago, but it's a structure, stable structure. You know, LFP can be found in nature. Not everyone knows that, but you can find rocks of LFP. So for me, it's a sign that it's something that's stable and that stability brings safety. It brings cycle life, brings calendar life. It brings ability to be charged rapidly without a detrimental effect to the structure. So, but the, the advantage, it comes from the, the link between the phosphorus and the oxygen. So the oxygen is really linked to the structure and doesn't want to leave it. While in the oxides, oxygen has a tendency to leave the structure when it collapses. So that stability comes with an extra weight. You know, you have more material. You have some phosphorus in it that is not active. So the disadvantage is a lower energy density or specific energy. And uh, so back in the days, I was saying that the advantages of LFP, its intrinsic advantages, can make us design cells differently. You know, you don't need the same safety around it. You can design with a different approach. And I was happy to see it being done lately you know, by uh, BYD and CATL with their different concept of blade or cell to pack. But instead of trying to put LFP in NMC cells like people were doing or in LCO cells like people were doing initially, it was designing the cell about what LFP can provide, allowed it really to to get to our next uh, level. So for me, it's... Uh, on, and the other big, big, big advantage of LFP is the availability of its components. You know, for me, it's uh, iron, phosphorus, and lithium. We have lithium in all the cathodes, so we cannot, we'll need it nonetheless, but iron and phosphorus compared to nickel, cobalt, even manganese, it's uh, easier to attain. There will be challenges when we get to the millions of tons, but it's lower challenges. And it's it can be made in North America. That's something people don't realize, but Making LFP is a less complex process, less unit operations than making the nickel-based materials. So it can be made easily. We should bring it back to here. So for me, it's uh, and it's also probably a faster path to get uh, to be IRA uh, compatible. We have something made all locally because all the ingredients are available locally. Well, I always used to laugh when people talked about the million-mile battery being the holy grail because I said LFP's always been the million mile battery yeah. and nobody wanted to hear that. Yeah. And the million mile battery depends a lot on how big you make the battery. You know, for me, uh, you can make a 2000 kilometer or 2000 mile uh, battery and you'll have need less cycles to get there. So for me, it's, uh, it's uh, but yes, you're right. LFP can cycle thousands of cycles. So it's, uh, I don't have an LFP-powered car, but I do have small LFP batteries back home that were made with the phosphate LFP we we're making back in 2005 for uh, small batteries that I use when I go fishing. You know, and they're still, you know, 15 years later, I don't see any aging of those. So it's, uh, they haven't cycled that much, but they're 15 years old. Well, you were running a plant that was competing with the Chinese. I remember it well because I used to move some of your byproduct uh, <laughs> to China and, and, and bring the lithium back. But tell me about what didn't work about the original model you had in Candiac and why it ceased to be competitive 
it wasn't a quality issue. It it was no, uh, no cost. Uh, yes, and it's a mixture of, uh, you know, you have to understand the history. I don't want to go into all the patent fights and all about IP, but one thing that needs to be understood is when that plant was built, Fastec Lithium, when the decision was taken to build a plant, Fastec Lithium, owned by Sudkemi at the time, a German company, was the sole licensee still. So we were still the sole licensee on the good enough patent and the carbon coating patent and the process patents. So the competition was more the other cathode materials than LFP. And the, the process we selected then was the one that our German, new German owners had developed, an hydrothermal process, which we knew was CapEx intensive, which we knew had the lithium, I would say, deficit by the fact you needed three lithium for one in LFP and two in the by product you mentioned. So that was an issue on cost of the building. But back then, lithium hydroxide was $4.50. It's not the same game as of today. And LFP was nascent. It was starting. So it was, we're still trying to find a way to get LFP to market and prove that it can work. So at the beginning, it worked well. You know, until 2015, 2016, there were good sales. At some point, the plant was running full capacity selling really mostly in China. And bear in mind that patents were not, I would say, pushed for in China. So we had to pay a license fee on materials sold in China, while Chinese didn't have to pay anything. So for me, it's a testament to the quality of the material that was made because it was at a much higher price than the local available material. And still people were buying it. But what changed a lot is around 2016 is the subsidies changed in China, moving from LFP to NMC. That changed the whole macroeconomics in China, moved everything to NMC, created a lot of overcapacity in LFP. And uh, although competing in cost can be done with China, competing on pricing is very challenging when you have people who don't you know, have a different way to approach the pricing and the economics of it. So selling on under cost is a possibility for some, was not for us. So what happened then is the plant really become more of a, I would say, a, a niche production. So making LFP for people who are willing to pay the extra margins, the extra cost for the extra quality. So that's really what kind of happened in there. And of course, the lithium hydroxide price going up slowly but surely. You know, when it was $8, it was already an issue for us. Then getting to 12 15 and now in the high double digits, uh, it became very hard to make that process, uh, I would say, long term. And to be fair, it was a complex and, as I mentioned, high capex process. So if I would redo his story, I would do things differently. It's always easier to see. <laughs> so over the, the last decade, LFP became a Chinese business, I think it's fair to say. And yeah. today, frame the current state of the market and then give us your thoughts on how you'd like to see that change. Uh, today, it's, I think... People say 99, I say 99.5, almost 99.9% of LFP is made in China. 
uh, I mentioned the licenses earlier. Everyone outside of China needed access to the patents. Enough player asked for it, but didn't even keep it. I'm thinking of BASF who went into LFP and went out. I'm thinking of uh, Mitsui shipbuilding, engineering and shipbuilding that went in and out. Tatung went in and out. So at the end, Preon who stayed in as a GV with Pulid. Not many players are remaining. I think, to my knowledge, right now, besides the plant in Candiac that we are refitting, so no more production right now. There's the Sumitomo plant in Vietnam and the Alice plant in Taiwan. There's some players in Europe trying to restart, but it's probably the, all of them together. It's less than ten thousand ton. So when you have more than a million ton production in China, and if I believe what's being said, the many millions of tons announced in uh, production capacity. So that's uh, and that's the status right now. But for me, where we need to go, I think we need to bring some back. For me, it's and it's possible. For me, though, my view is we need three things to bring it back outside, to bring it back here. We need willingness, but two things and two two major things. The first one is the Willingness to buy local, because it would be easy to develop a local chain, but when there's overcapacity to be to see low price coming in and uh, taking us out, so it's really willingness from OEMs, from cell developers, and from government really to build something uh, locally. But also, we need a process that can compete with the Chinese process. We need to find our own way. To make LFP because the way it is done in China mostly today cannot be transported there. You know, it lies a lot on cheap iron sources from titanium dioxide leaching. So they have uh, say available iron sulfate from that, and most of the process goes from that iron sulfate toward iron phosphate, toward lithium iron phosphate. Uh, we don't have that iron sulfate in North America, we don't have it in Europe, not those quantities. So we need to find a different way. And that's, again, as I mentioned, that's why I joined Nano One, because I believe we have it. Well, before we get into the Nano yeah. One process and why that would change the game for you, let's talk a little bit about the market itself. Once Elon Musk said half of Tesla's cars long term would be iron based, uh, it was a revelation to people. Uh, <laughs> had you said that five years ago, you'd have been laughed out of the room. And uh, around that same time, you had to sell the pack and the BYD blade. Explain a little bit. You've touched on it earlier, but they changed the architecture of the pack. And yeah. if you would go into that a little bit and why that is an enabler, because you can stuff more LFP into the same unit size. Yeah. But because at the beginning, you no, know, at the basis, NMC can store more energy than NFP can at a higher voltage and more electrons. So it's more energy. But as I said earlier, you need to find a way to use the benefit of LFP. It's safer. So you don't need all the same safety. You don't need same cooling. You don't need, you know, the concept of cell to module to pack has been there for many, many years. But the question is why? You know, for me, it's always been because you needed electronics on the module to control it, to make sure that everything is uh, safe inside. But using the advantage of LFP, you can bypass it. 
So you bypass a lot of non-useful steel, aluminum, weight, and volume. So the burden, as we called it back in the days, but you remove that. So you take LFP much closer to what an MC can get at the pack level because you remove things that are needed for an MC but are not needed for LFP. You optimize. So that's where it's not yet to power with an MC on the specific energy, energy density. There will remain a difference. And there's, for me, you cannot have just one cathode material. There will be many cathode materials. It will simplify the supply chains. And there are different markets. So for me, what CTL and BYD did was really take it to the next step, prove to the world that you can take LFP and design around it and make a big cell that doesn't, that's kind of a module. The cell is the module. That's the what's different. Instead of putting things in parallel, then in series, then again in series, you just make the big, big cells and put them all in series. So it's, uh, it, for me, it's a big change. You know, when I was hearing about it, I was very happy. It was, uh, I wasn't recycling then, so I was afraid how oh, it would impact recycling. But for LFP, it's a very good news. So it allowed us to get to the next step. And I think the other thing that's important for LFP that you mentioned Elon Musk and Tesla is, no, my view is the first EVs that were made, they were very expensive. I think we all agree on it. Because they were expensive, they were a toy, you needed to have all, you needed all the performance you could put in the toy. So you needed the, the mileage, you needed the fast acceleration, you needed to have something to, to show off and you were willing to pay for it. So that's why you had to go with iNickel, push it, push the performance, and cost was not such an issue because it was still a small percentage of the total car. But I think the mindset is changing. If you want to address the big masses, you know, you want to sell many, many cars, you don't need to go 0, 100 in two seconds with all the cars you sell. You don't need a 1,000 kilometers or six, 700 miles in all the cars that you sell. So that's where LFP allows the lower cost and brings it as a possibility. So it's a, it's a big advantage. From, and that's what opens the door. And it, it's funny you mentioned it because back in 2017, 17, 18, people were saying LFP is dead. It's not dead at all. Well, I, I 100% agree with you. And I was laughed at when even Albemarle was saying in 2025, 70% of the market will be high nickel. And, and I said, I don't believe that because just the point you made, most people don't need a car that can go a thousand kilometers on a charge. Most people want a reasonably priced car. And this the whole EV market started Again, as you said, with uh, the roads, the Tesla Roadster and cars that cost six figures. And that's just not reality for most of the people out there. No. And the other thing is my, my vision is we don't just want to electrify transport. We want to decarbonize it. So why put a battery that can do a thousand mile in it or 600, 700 miles if you don't need them? So for me, the, the, the old carbon footprint of the battery or the car is the materials you put in. It's a cathode that, so if you make way too big batteries, you have a much bigger impact and you use that, what, 10 hours a year? You know, a couple of days a year, maybe, that you're going to use those uh, ions of lithium. You don't need them. So let someone else have a car <laughs> and use that lithium instead. 
So I think we both agree. Maybe the Western journalists haven't caught up with the idea yet that the market will move. And and Mary Barra said it a couple of weeks ago. It would be the end of the decade, I think, before you could make uh, before GM could make money on a car that sold for thirty to forty thousand dollars. But BYD can do it right now, largely because of differences in the whole cost structure. But the the point. I would make is that LFP is going to have to have a a significant position in North America and Europe as well. And so that begs the question, there are a lot of articles written out there that North America can't make LFP unless CATO comes over and teaches us how to do it. You don't believe that. And I don't believe that. (laughs) So tell me why (laughs) nano wants technology, the differences, what the differences are, and why they would enable you to make a competitive product in North America. Zalandez offers technology and services that support both direct lithium extraction and conventional evaporation ponds. Minimize the environmental impact of your lithium site through Zalandez data-driven insights and tailored solutions for each extraction method. Go to zalandez.com for more information. That's Z-E-L-A-N-D-E-Z dot com. But the, the big difference with the nano one process, you know, we call the reaction the one pot reaction. So that brings the first difference is we put everything together. We don't need the same raw materials. You know, on the iron side of things, we can use pure metallic iron. We can use iron oxides, which are more readily available than the iron sulfate. On the lithium side, we can use car carbonate, we can use hydroxide, and we just put phosphoric acid. And we put all of them together at the beginning. So we don't create an intermediary, a PCAM, like people would say. We put everything in one reaction, and we avoid the filtration and washing steps. All the existing processes go through a step where they need to wash everything, filter, wash, and manage all that wastewater. In the Candiac plant, half of the equipment in there is linked to filtration and wastewater treatment. If you remove that step, you simplify the process a lot. And then in the one pot, you take what you do in that reaction, move it straight to drying, and then to a kiln. Spend a couple of hours in the kiln. Don't need to spend a day or 12 hours in the kiln. And then go to post-processing. You can do jet milling, classifying, all you want it to be done. But at the end, it makes it in a process with very limited amount of unit operations. And as a chemical engineer, that's what I liked about it. You know, if you have less unit operations, you have less capex, less opex, more uptime because less chances that something breaks and you stop everything. So that's the big, big advantage of the one-pot process. And it allows it to be done in North America. So for me, I'm a big believer that we can make much bigger volumes than we were doing in North America before and you know, build many plants rapidly to, to do that. Of course, we need to, to prove it, but that's uh, really, I think, the differentiation that the Nano One process brings. What are the next steps mm-hmm. in proving that it not only works at scale, but it can work at scale at, at a cost that that makes you globally competitive. That's where the acquisition of the 
cardiac plan from Johnson Matthew really helps us. That's really, uh, you know, we get a team that has done it twice. You know, taking things from KG to turn level on a solid state process to make it FP and another hydrothermal process to make it FP. They've made product commercially. They've sold to automotive. Plant was IETF 16949 certified. So it's all things we would have needed to develop that we acquired. In addition, we get a plant, which was a small commercial plant, 2,000 ton a year, a bit more. But in it, we have most of the equipment we need. There's equipment we don't need, but most of the equipment we need for the one pot is there. So what we're doing is we're using it as a big pilot unit. So because 2,000 ton was commercial back in the days, now it's a pilot, it's a pilot line. So the only unit of operation that we were not sure with the existing equipment was the reaction itself. So we didn't want to gamble because the reactors we had in Candiac was were 150 to 200 times bigger than what we had in uh, R&D uh, in Burnaby. So where we do innovation, Burnaby, British Columbia. So we ordered reactors that are a bit smaller, you know, more uh, 20 times bigger. So we ordered those. We are installing those. So they just came to the plant uh, <laughs> this week. So we're installing them right now to start testing. But in the meantime, we have started making trials, pilot trials with the existing reactors. And we've made the first tons of LFP using the one pot process. So we've proven that we can scale it up. Still have a lot of things to learn. No, it's uh, for me, it's uh, you do piloting to learn to build a commercial plant, and that's what we're doing right now. So our plans are to install the reactors I mentioned, test them, validate the process, learn everything we can to transfer to the engineering team to develop a commercial plant, generate samples for customers. So it's a mixture of doing product process development while we scale things up. And with a goal to have some capacity this year, maybe 200 tons by the end of the year, and hopefully bring the plant back to its nameplate capacity by the end of next year. But again, the goal is not to use that existing plant as a production line. It's really to use it priority one as a pilot line to learn, develop, and as a second priority for commercial sales, if there are people willing to get smaller materials. But we're not in in for the small game. That's what you know, needs to be clear. We don't want to just have a 2,000 ton plant. We want to get, we want to change the, you know, one's motto is changing the way the world makes battery materials. And that's what we want to do on LFP. We want to get to the hundreds of thousands of tons that are needed. So that's uh, our approach. And that's maybe that's the next steps in Candiac. You know, uh, I talked a lot about engineering, but the, the next step we're working on is we've started the pre-engineering for a big commercial plant. So what we want to build on the extra land, because when we bought back in 2007, when Fastec Lithium bought in 2007, it bought for expansion. So we have a lot of land to expand into in our Candiac site. So we want to build a big commercial line, which would be the biggest single unit of production line we can do. And that's what we started uh, the engineering into. And we have the idea to build that after that, to copy paste it, cookie cutter, call it our blueprint, use all the buzzwords you want, but move it to many places uh, after that. And that's really our, our goal right now. So we're doing all of that at the same time, a lot of work, but with the help of a 
the new team, the two teams we have in Candiac and Burnaby, we're getting there. But the existing building you'll use as a pilot, but you have enough space adjacent where your first commercial plant's going to be on the Candiac site. Is yeah. that correct? Well, yeah, we have enough place from the engineering work we've done right now for at least one line, maybe two. But for me, the most important one is the first one. We want we need to demonstrate at a commercial scale that it works. Keep in mind that even the existing Candiac pilot may be, uh, no, it won't be a 10x scale to the commercial line. So it's still something uh, close for most of the unit operations to where we will be after that. So it's good enough to qualify material with customers. Well, that's the next question. You have a you have a product, you have a process, but right now you don't have a lot of LFP cells being made in North America, but you have a map where right now through the IRA and the DOE, there's a lot of battery factories that are that are being built. Admittedly, most of those are predicated still on nickel technology. But when do you see the market coming? And a company like Ford, their flagship vehicle, the F-150 is an LFP vehicle. It's not like uh, LFP isn't happening. How do you see this evolving and what, what do you see as the timeline for it? That's it. It's a little bit of a chicken and egg question because you need the you need to have LFP available to say you're gonna use it locally. You need to have the LFP cell manufacturers available locally also. And there's a big uh, you no know, EVs, OEMs, you know. To satisfy one vehicle, you probably need uh, 30, 40, 50, 60,000 tons of production. So it's more than the first line we're going to build. So we need to go rapidly to them. So for me, it's a, I cannot tell you when it will happen because I don't have the magic answer. I think we need to work all together to make sure that we're all aligned. Because the worst that would happen is we're ready and there's no customers or there are people ready, but they need to buy elsewhere. So for me, it's uh, that's why we're trying to get as quickly as possible with the first one. And we're really, you know, maybe I didn't mention it, but our, we're designing an approach right now to be able to build the next commercial plants, you know, to deliver them rapidly. We're trying to find a way to simplify the engineering for the next ones so that we don't have to redo everything and take three, four years to build every plant, that we can put them, you know, in sequence to get to those numbers. That's really what's needed. So to answer your question on timing, it's hard, you know, we have an agreement with our next energy that's been announced. One, it's a local, it's a cell manufacturer that's developing in North America, so they need to get there. Uh, we want to follow their needs. There's a lot of OEMs that announce. You know, you mentioned Tesla. You mentioned, you know, if I listen to all the people talking to me, I hear 300, 400,000 tons needed by 2030. But we need to get there. Will it happen? Won't it happen? That's that's where we need to develop. That's where we need, as I said, we need to align cell manufacturers, OEM, governments all together. We need to support this industry to make it happen and uh, develop the local supply chain. So I believe it will happen, but we need to align all of that. But just to go back to uh, 10 or 15 minutes ago, you have access to all the raw materials you need without anything passing through China. Is that correct? Right now, yes, it's possible. And our approach, you know, we have a three-tiered 
approach to our raw material supply and they go with as we go we want to localize them more and more you know you know more than i do that lithium in north america is probably not that easy right now as lithium carbonate but it will come so we need to find local can be chile right now or argentina yeah. and it will become closer in course same on the phosphate you know may come from Europe, may come from North America, but there are developing projects to have more and more uh, phosphoric acid locally. Iran can discuss more, but we have an agreement with Rio Tinto. We're working with Rio Tinto, who has the biggest iron smelter in North America, and it's an hour from the Kandiak plant. So they can make uh, more than 100,000 tons of iron a year. So that's a lot of iron that's at, uh, eventually at our available for us you took a a brief break from the battery side and were in recycling for a short time if i heard that correctly yeah how do you view the recycling economics of lfp versus the nickel cathodes well for me the easy answer is there's more uh, lithium in lfp than there's in a six percent the light to wall concentrate so for me, if I can get lithium out of concentrate, I can get lithium out of LFP. So it should put the economics of recycling LFP at least at par with uh, concentrate. So uh, even more because there's even less impurities. You know the impurities in there and there's uh, just a couple, iron and phosphorus, you need to get rid of. Can we revalue the iron and phosphorus is something that you know, we as Nano One are looking into either by ourselves, we're talking with a lot of players right now to try to to really get all the value we can out of it. You know, four years ago with uh, lithium at uh, 10, 15 bucks, uh, don't think the economics were the same as they are today. So when I see a concentrate sold in uh, many thousands of dollars a ton, in my mind, LFP, end of life should be worth the same amount because there's the same amount of value of lithium in it. So I believe there will be economics. It won't be as good as an MC because you know when you buy an LFP cell, you don't pay for the metals. So don't expect to sell it for the metals at the end of life. If you buy an MC, you can you pay for the metals, you can get the money when you sell it at the end of life. Well so that I was be- yeah. that was really one of my questions is that did you think that there would have to be some kind of subsidy to make to the recyclers as the raw materials change uh, you know most people you know, five right. years yeah five years ago lfp was a tolling uh, not LFP, sorry, recycling was a tolling business whatever the type of battery people were paying to get rid of them it all has changed right now people fight for batteries fight for the black mass because it's uh it has a lot of value. So I think the same will happen for LFP. We'll find a way to extract. I know there's a lot of recycling capabilities in China. When I What I read is there's a lot. No, I haven't seen them. But there are ways to recycle it. And I think on the long term, cannot leave that lithium in landfill. We need to get the lithium out of all that LFP. That being said... There's not much LFP recycling in North America today for two reasons. LFP batteries will last forever. So you won't see them come back before 20, 25 years as end of life because there's a second life for them, which is more valuable probably than recycling. 
and there's no cell manufacturing, so there's no scrap. No scrap is probably production scrap is the main feed for recycling today. There's no production scrap for LFP. So I think that also explains the, the lack of interest lately in the last years, focus on NMC and LCO, of course. But uh, I'm pretty sure everyone will go to LFP. Will they need to change their processing? That's another question. You know, I think you may need to go different ways, but that's my own opinion. So you mentioned one partnership, but Nano Nano One's got a great deal of partnerships. Now you're focused on LFP, so maybe you're not talking about all the other things, but that's really been the way Nano One has tried to develop their mm-hmm. business is through partnerships. Are there any other yeah. partnerships that you would want to mention? Yeah, or- but and I can come back a little bit to your Tinto, but to your point. I, I repeat it a lot because for me, that motto means a lot to me. Changing the way the world makes battery material is one of how we, what we say. We, it's not changing the way Nano One makes battery materials. We want to do it as a team. And we believe we need to do it as a team. And for all the good reasons, because as I mentioned earlier, decarbonation, not just electrification. We need to make battery materials in a nicer, cleaner way. So that's what we want to do. And that's why we work with a lot of partners. We mentioned Rio Tinto for the RN side of thing, but Rio Tinto is also, it's an investor. It's also a partner for Lithium. They are still a junior, I would say, in Lithium. They have projects to uh, to develop. So they're a big player, but with uh, assets to develop and they're working on them. So it's a potential supply of Lithium for us eventually. RN, it's strong. I've mentioned our next energy, which is focused on LFP, testing, validating, making sure we get to the next step and going to offtakes. Uh, you're right. We have others more on the NMC side of things because the one pot process allows to make also in a simpler way, avoiding the, the, the PCAM, avoiding all the sulfate that comes with the PCAM generation and reducing a lot the time you spent in kilns. So reducing the amount of energy you need to make the CAM and the waste. So we have interactions there. The, the announced ones, some are public. So we are working with uh, on the cathode side of thing with Fumicor, with PSF. Uh, we're working on the more on the raw material side of things. We have agreements with uh, CBMM on the niobium. We have euromanganese on the manganese. So we're working with different players. And again, throughout the supply chain, you know, and we have uh, agreements with a a lot of OEMs, but those are secret that they, we cannot divulge them. But we have uh, working with, uh, and those are, I would say, the official joint development agreement, JDAs. But we also have a lot of interaction on the NMC side, but mostly on the LFP side with different, a lot of customers, you know, cell manufacturers, OEMs who believe in it and to develop it. Because, uh, Another thing I didn't mention about Candiac and what it brings to us is the experience. You mentioned yourself or you're making good material. Uh, a lot of customers are knocking on the door because they know that the Candiac plant can deliver good LFP. It has delivered good LFP in the past. They believe in the Nano One process. So they believe that once we're going to do be making uh, LFP with a nano one one pot process, we're going to make good LFP because the, the quality 
was really good and the people believe in it. So it's, uh, and for me, that's, uh, that's a good sign. So Nano One brought its list of customers, but the XG Johnson Matty business also brought some customers there. So that's really helping grow. Cannot make everyone happy right now. I think everyone would like LFP tomorrow. Sadly, uh, we need to make it and develop it. So before we can deliver it, but it will come soon. When I talk about lithium projects on this podcast, I always ask about the team and we've danced around it a little bit. How many people that are working right now at Candiac have been there through the other years and uh, the struggles? We had 45 people at acquisition. The average experience is about the same as the plant, meaning a lot of the people were there before. Probably you have 10, 15 people who were there with us back in 2000 with Fastec Lithium. I say us all the time because I've been there, I left and I'm back. But back in 2005, 2006, we have uh, 10 plus people. So the people who were there when the company Fastec was a startup doing R&D and you know, moving to the next steps, they remember our what it was because the last years of Johnson Matty and Clarient, who was the previous owner of the plant, was production, production, production. So the innovation was put aside, but you cannot take innovation out of people. So it's really, it's still there. So we have a team that's been working on supply chain for many years. We have a, people who have developed engineers. Though back in the days, we were building our own kilns. So I still have the mechanical engineer who was with me building our own kilns to make LFP. So that's all that expertise that still lies there. So we believe we have the team with the most experience in LFP and even in CAM in North America. Of course, if we have plants with two, three, four hundred people in them coming, they will overtake us. So we need to build more plants to keep that uh, experience in there. There are other people talking about making LFP whether it's using AI or what what have you, do you see that as a, as a positive in that competition makes you better? Or how, yeah. how, do, how do you view that? And how do you view how many players is it going to take yeah. to get North America to where it needs to be? You said it earlier. Some people still believe you cannot make LFP in, China, in North America without the Chinese. So for me, anyone else who can prove those people wrong Perfect. We need to prove that wrong. We need to bring LFP here. So, yes, they are competitors in some way, but the pie will be so big that we can't share the pie. No no one will buy from a single source anyway. So we need to have competition. We need to develop it. and We need to have them come. Uh, need to have the right processes to do so, I think. One advantage we have, you know, I, I like to say there's always, you know, there's the things you know, you know, things you you know, you don't know, and the things you don't know that you don't know. By building two plants and starting them up, a lot of the things we didn't know, we didn't know back then, we learned in that team. So I think that's a big advantage for Nano One because a lot of people going in the field without the experience will realize there's a couple of things they have not. They would have liked to know before. So, but we still wish them good because we need competition. We need LFP to come. So, and that's, I think that's the business model of Nano One also. We don't want to be a sole manufacturer. Our approach is to go with uh, joint venture licensing. No, licensing is probably the way that things will grow. It's not through uh, 
us spending billions of dollars to build all the plants that will be needed. Well, I have worked with a gentleman named Dr. Yuan Gao going back to the 90s. He, I call him the cathode OG. He was developing cathode when he worked for FMC. He wasn't really working as, as part of the, the lithium production side of it. Then he went back to China. He grew up in China. He went back to China. He was a CEO of one of the key manufacturers of LFP. But now he is on your board of advisors. What benefits do you get out of having OG, we get Dr. <laughs> Yuan Gao helping you out? A lot, a lot. I think uh, I had many calls with uh, Juan, and he's he's a very knowledgeable person, and he's a very nice person. That's always fun when you work with yeah. people that you can laugh with, can have uh, fun during the interaction. Yes, he's been at Puri. He knows LFP. He knows China. How it, LFP was made. He knows cathode, as you say. He was in he was the high beginning nickel. of this. He yeah. was he was really the original nickel guy, as far as I'm concerned. So, and he knows. I think. He has a vision that's really aligned with ours on what's needed to change in the way we do things to get to the growth. Because we need to change the way we think. Even, you know, when we're talking about the growth that's needed, it happened in some ways in China. It needs to happen here. We cannot just copy what we've been doing at 2,000 ton a piece. We need to change the way we think. We need to build bigger. We need to change the way we cook things. And that's discussions that we have where we are very much aligned and it really pushes us in that direction to change the things. So for me, it's a, both at the reaction, at the firing, you know, you talk uh, roller earth kilns to uh, one guy, it's not a word he likes and that's not the word I like. So that's why we're aligned. We need to have a better way to fire things without spending all the energy in uh, crucibles and spending it on cattle material instead. So it's a, uh, Always nice to talk with him. For me, is is now is well known, but there's so many people like Wang Gao in the industry that have done a lot and are not so known. You know, there's so many of them. So for me, it's uh, it's good when you have a chance to work with one of many of them. Okay, what didn't I ask you that I should have? If we, we covered, you know, MIP. We didn't talk too much about IP because it's been a complicated. Thing about LFP and it's open now. So <laughs> happy we didn't talk too much about it. That's good. No, I think we covered all of it. Thank you for uh, again giving me a chance to talk about LFP. Something I love and I like to share about it. All right. Well, we end the podcast with some rapid fire questions. <laughs> Who's your favorite author? Oh boy. Read a lot of them. I, 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 I'd like to say Tolkien. Because that's probably J.R. Tolkien. Because I think it started my as a young teenager reading Lord of the Rings was very important and interesting for me. Probably read it three or four times since then. So it's uh, that's probably the one. But I read a lot, so it's hard sometimes to find which ones I prefer. Depends on time. Favorite band? The Cure. I'm a old guy. <laughs> Favorite color? Orange. I if like you, those questions. If you couldn't live in Canada, where would you live? If I have to talk right now, because I have a young family who doesn't speak anything else than French, I have to go to France. So it has, because otherwise they won't survive. So it's probably 
what I would say, Southwest of France is a place I love. It was just for me as a retiree, anywhere where I could do fly fishing. Argentina, Iceland, everywhere I could catch uh, salmon. Do you ever dream in English? I think so. <laughs> yes. But you had to think about it. Yeah. Final question. If you were a spy, what would your code name be? Mm. <laughs> Good. I have no clue. Hey. <laughs> Okay, we'll just say <laughs> we'll just say cathode and, and leave the, it at that. <laughs> the olive guy. No, I don't know. All right, that's the first time I've ever asked that question. So yeah, was, yeah, yeah. It was tested on you. I kind of like it though. I yeah. I will warn future podcast guests that they may be asked that question. Yeah, I couldn't do my due diligence on that one, so I couldn't prepare. No, it. okay. So I'll ask you another one, and it is one I ask pretty often. If you could be a world class performer in any endeavor, yeah. What would it be? I'm Canadian, so I have to say hockey. So it's kind of... Uh, I, I was young. I was dreaming of being a hockey player for the Quebec Nordiques. So it's... Uh, okay, so that was that was a layup for you. Yeah. All right. Denny, thank you very much. Appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you very much, Joe. I am hoping that this episode will help begin to dispel the misinformation that's out there which has been reinforced by some of the Western press who has no idea really about the battery industry, that somehow we can't make LFP here. Well, as you just heard, LFP was actually invented in Texas. It has been made in Quebec. And we didn't really get into the IP issues and how China avoided paying uh, the licensing fees that everybody else had to pay, and the fact that Candiac's plant was using a process that was higher cost. They made a very high-quality product. I was involved as a supplier. I also later on was involved when Gangfen would take the lithium sulfate byproduct and toll convert it into high-quality hydroxide for the Candiac plant. I believe Denis gave a very balanced assessment of what it's going to take to get North America in the game, and he hopes that Nano One's not the only party uh, involved. Uh, competition's going to make everybody better, and I'm hoping that that's what we see happen as there is a build-out of North American battery technology. I think it's pretty clear that high nickel is not going to be the one-stop solution in this North American auto market. People are going to want lower-priced vehicles, and that, in many cases, will require LFP. The podcast was recorded a few days ago. I am recording the outro on the 4th of July, America's Independence Day. So to all my American friends, happy 4th of July. I'm going to leave you with a Japanese kodowaza or proverb. This time it is Tadeku Mushimo Skizuke. There's no accounting for taste. Thanks again for listening.